Welcome to the Base Path Podcast, brought to you by New England Baseball Journal. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. We are in the thick of the MIA tournament, and we have our expert here, Matt Feld, who has been doing top 10 rankings for us every week. Last week, he also put out 10 candidates for MIA Player of the Year. He's got all of the info for us as we break down all five divisions. We will start with Division One. Matt, are you ready? I'm ready to go. All right, excellent. So no surprise, it's the same teams from last year's state championship game as the one and the two. Hockamock rivals Franklin and Taunton. As I'm looking here at the brackets, obviously, you know, those two teams, probably the favorites, but there's some dangerous teams here. Westford Academy finished undefeated. They're the three. Central Catholic is the four. Now, when you look at this bracket beyond those four teams, because those four are all dangerous, we'll get to them. We may see those matchups in the semifinals. Among these lower seeds, and 5-6, I'm not talking about those, but are there any dangerous teams you might see here in the teens or 20s, even the 30s? I think Methuen, who's the 21 seed, Matt Papillardo, hopefully whose name I did not just butcher, who's one of our top 10 player of the year candidates, has been one of the best players in the league all season long. You ask other coaches in that league, they'll tell you that he's as good as any pitcher that you'll see in the state. They've got an intriguing first round matchup with Andover, their Merrimack Valley Conference foe, who will be throwing sophomore lefty Chris Gillette. That's a really good opening round matchup. I think both of those teams could be dangerous um, in the tournament. They, the winner of that game would likely play Zavarian. That would certainly be interesting. Same Paul, the 19 seed, they were in our top 10 poll way back at the beginning part of the season before they hit some bumps along the way. They've got Jack Lazuski, Jake LaFrancois, two high-level arms that can both get into the upper 80s, even the low 90s. They're a serious threat, I think, to win a couple of games just because of their depth. Wachusett, another team that was in our top 10 poll for a couple of weeks. They've hit the ball consistently throughout the course of the year. They've struggled a little bit on the mound, but certainly have plenty of offensive firepower where they can make some noise. People like Chelmsford, number 13 seed. Um, they've got three arms that have competed, although they've struggled to hit at times. And then I've heard great things from people in the Hockamock League about Milford, two arms that get up into the upper 80s and, and can beat anyone. So I think the favorites are the favorites. They're always, they're always going to be the favorites. But I think maybe even more so than last year, there are tons of teams throughout this tournament without even talking talking about nine-seed Bridgewater Raynham or eight-seeded Weymouth that could certainly upset the apple cart and, and make this tournament very interesting. Yeah, that's what's so dangerous and about these single elimination tournaments. You talked about Matt Papardello from Methuen. Like, you don't want to face off with him at any point in the tournament, even if you're a one or two-seed. His numbers were crazy this year. We reported him yesterday in the top 10 candidates for player of the year. Opponents are hitting 096 against him. On the season, I think he went, let me look at his stats here. Yeah, so on the season, he had 73 strikeouts and 40 innings, a 1.04 ERA. Nobody wants to see them in the tournament. he ended up 13 hits yeah. all season. <laughs> Just amazing stuff. So that's what makes these teams so dangerous. If you have that one D1 arm, look out. You're, you're of upset potential, anybody you play. As we get further into the tournament, potential quarterfinal matchups or even semifinal matchups, any jump out at you? Know, I know Central Catholic, very dangerous as that four seed. Franklin may end up seeing them in the semis. Taunton may have Westford Academy. 
any of those semifinal matchups jump out at your potential higher seeds coming into the semifinals? Yeah, even before the semifinals, I mean, Franklin and Bridgewater Raynham played each other just last week. Bridgewater Raynham gave Franklin their first loss when they were 17-0. They could play in the quarterfinals. They played in the tournament last year. Mm-hmm. Bridgewater Raynham, I think, is really good. I think they're the number nine seed, but I think they're outstanding. They beat BC High, who's the who's the seven seed earlier this year, 15-2. to two. They're very athletic. They've got three really good arms. Jack Ritchie's is a really good player. I think that would be an awesome quarterfinal game with, with a huge crowd. But you mentioned it. I mean, it, you've got a potential for semifinals between Ton and Westford. Westford trying to be the first undefeated team in Massachusetts in over 50 years. Jake Collin, Matt Marash at the top of the rotation is as good as any one-two punch that you're going to find in the state across the board. I think they've combined to let up four runs between the two of them all year long. And Ton's the defending champion. Um, and I feel like, I mean, I, I've they've ranked, been ranked 2, 10, 6 in our poll. So I, and they're the two seed. It's hard to say they're flying under the radar, but, but once again, they are the defending champion and they're the defending champion and still somebody beats them. And so I think they're they're very dangerous. Wayman's had one of the better teams that they've had, set the regular season record for wins. But to me, Franklin and Central Catholic and Taun and Westford, it's top four seeds, it's chalk, so it's kind of boring. I'm the first one to say it, but those are the top four seeds because those are the four best teams. And while I would not be surprised necessarily because of the talent depth in this bracket, if one of, their t- were, one of them were to get upset, I think both those semifinal games would just simply be outstanding, and those would be must-see games in every respect. Yeah, we haven't even mentioned Zavarian. They're the five seed. They won in 2021. BC High is a seven seed. Some of those Catholic conference schools have a history of making runs in this tournament. It feels a little strange asking if you're if there should be any concerns for Franklin, who's sitting there as a one-team but they hit a couple of bumps down there in the last week or two of the season. Do you think it was just a case of they had proven everything they had to prove in the in the regular season? Yeah, I mean, they were 17-0, and Westford Academy is the team that goes into the tournament undefeated, but there were plenty of people talking about whether Franklin would be the team that comes into the tournament undefeated. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to win 22. Hard to win 22 straight games. They did lose 3 of 4 down the stretch, or 3 of 5, I should say, losing to Bridgewater Raynham and then losing their two games in the Padroli tournament to Hopkinton and Nate. But you wonder whether that's a team that's just simply trying to get their pitching right. It seemed that Zach Brown used a lot of different arms down the stretch of the season, probably to make sure that their top guys are staying at certain pitch counts, because then on Monday they came back and, and blanked St. John Shrewsbury, who's the number six team right. uh, in this pool. So Franklin, to me, when Franklin's playing their best, they are still the team to beat. I think they're the most dynamic team, the most versatile team, the deepest lineup, the deepest pitching staff. I think when Franklin's playing their best, it's really hard to beat them. But this is high school baseball, and there are plenty of teams here good enough to, to make it so they don't play their best, whether it's because they've got arms of their own or a good catcher in their own lineup. So I thought for a while we did the, the midseason podcast, whatever that was, the first week in May, and you asked me if I still thought Franklin was by far the favorite to win the championship, and I said yes, and I don't know if I still feel still feel that way. I think they're the favorite, they're the one seed, but I don't think there's that big of a gap. I don't know if there's any gap, really, between them and the other top seeds. Yeah, and as we look at, I'll probably ask you this about Division Two and Division Three as well. Is there a team in this bracket that is looking for redemption after taking an early exit last year? I think Zavarian's probably that team. You said they won, you mentioned they won the state championship two years ago. They had a lead in the first round up at Andover last year that they kicked away in the sixth inning. And they're a team that's been strong this year. I mean, they're the 13 and seven, but they won the Catholic Conference. Jerry Lambert's team seems to always play well the second half of the season, which they've done again uh, this time around. They're, they were very young last year. And, and I know that Jerry really likes his his depth on the mound this year. I don't know if they've necessarily got the, the superstar like a Jake Cullen or, or an Alfred Mucciaroni, but they've got plenty of deep arms. 
And they're a team that seems to be come tournament time is always dangerous. Twenty one of Jerry Lambert's three state championships was 2011. They were 10 and 10 and then won six straight games in the tournament. His teams have a knack for doing that. So it's hard to say that Zavarian of all teams that has won three D1 championships since 2000 is a is a team that has a chip on its shoulder. But I think last year after being the defending champions and losing early in the tournament is certainly a team that would like redemption and is certainly capable of, of doing that. Right. And yeah, Westford Academy, I think, lost in the second round yes. last year. There, You'd hate to see that happen to them again after an 18-0 season and have them feel disappointed about it. So I'm kind of hoping they make a little bit deeper of a run this year. I meant to ask you this about MIA Player of the Year. So we had those 10 candidates. We're going to announce the winner of that on Wednesday, June 21st. Are you factoring in performance in the state tournament? Like, I was wondering, I know, like, Ryan McDougal's not in here, but last year... He was he had the big home run in the state championship game. Are you factoring in state tournament performance for these ten guys? Absolutely, I think I think you have to. I think it's a huge component, right? If you're a player that's already great, and then you establish yourself as being a postseason game changer as well. I mean, how do you not consider it? I mean, if Alfred Mucharoni throws three shutouts in the postseason and, and leads them to a state championship on the mound, I feel like you have to take that into consideration. Same thing with Mathurin. If Mathurin were to make a run to the semifinals and, you know, their ace arm throws two or three tremendous games that helps them get there and probably pull off an upset or two along the way, that's got to be in consideration. Jack Rob goes all the way down, especially those lower division teams, a Caleb Allen, if Oakland were to go on a great run. So, no, I think it has to be considered. It has to be factored in. I don't, I, I'm not as someone who weighs the postseason so much more heavily than the regular season maybe than other teams do at the end of the day. Like you said, it's one game and you can go out there and throw seven innings and give up one unearned run and lose the game one to nothing. So, so that's hard to do, but I think it certainly has to be a huge factor when you're kind of deciding who the best player in the state is. Yeah. And it's not easy to predict which of these teams will make the, I mean, Mucciaroni, like you said, he's probably going to be going playing a few games for Franklin. I think Owen McHugh with Milton will probably be playing at least two or three games. Taconic is, and they have Matt Lee. They were out early last year, but they should, they're the number one seed in D3 this year. All right. So while we are moving on to other divisions, why don't we skip to division two now? This has kind of also been a a two team race all year. Like we just talked about Franklin Taunton. This one, maybe even the first two teams are a little bit ahead of the three, a little bit more than you see in division one. So we've got Milton as the one seed. They're the defending champions. I just mentioned Owen McHugh, who is a top 10 player in the state. They had another player, is it Scott Longo, yep. emerge as a great pitcher and a, contrib- a key contributor to their offense this year. And then Lemonster, we had the coach, Coach McCarthy, on a couple of weeks ago. Barnaby. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, no. We had Coach Barnaby from Lemonster on a couple of weeks ago to talk about his season. And they've been they've been up at the top all year. They were number one in our last top 10 ranking of MIA teams. Who else in this Division Three bracket do you see making some noise? Well, I think when you look at the look at the division overall, King Philip was in the state final last year and lost to and lost to Milton. They're a team that I think coming into the year had big expectations, but they've had to suffer and struggle through some injuries to the pitching staff. They've got Brendan Senjak, who's a, a, a tremendous shortstop, one of the best hitters in the conference. Hopkinton came on strong. Like I said earlier, they beat Franklin at the end of the season. 
rallied twice, scored three runs in the seventh and the eighth to win the game. Women Hansen won the Patriot League. Keenan this year, new coach Matt Henriksen. They've got a great pitching staff. Ryan Baker, Evan Yakovonis. So again, I agree with you. Milton Levinster, you're talking about a future D2 champion. The odds are odds on favorite that they're going to probably meet in the final. But there are other landmines. I think in the bracket, St. Mary's played very well down the stretch. A really young team this year. They beat Milton a few weeks ago to give Milton their first loss. And then Duxbury is another team that I'm watching. A team that's mashed the baseball this year. Cam Walsh going to Northeastern. A great shortstop. Nick Ayers for them hit over 400 with six home runs. And then again, my thing with with Norwood at the 17 seed is you figure Jack Cropper throws the first game. If you win the first game, then you're playing Milton. And if in any scenario you could find a way to beat Milton in the second game, should Milton hold serve? Now you get Cropper to come back for the state quarterfinals. You put yourself in a position to be in a state semifinal. Again, it's way easier just to go through that hypothesis than, than to actually have it happen. But when you've got a pitcher like that, it really prevents a lot of struggles and, and potential threats for, for opposing teams when someone can go out there and pretty much carry a carry a team. Milton and Levenster, definitely the favorites, but I do think there's some quality and depth in this bracket along the way. That is definitely interesting. I hadn't thought of that cropper. So they're, they're the 17. Their, their first round matchup is this afternoon on Monday, June 5th against West Springfield. So that's a 16-17 matchup. You Quick all, drive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you almost want to just hold a cropper for that p- potential Milton matchup, but the last thing you want is to get bumped out before you can even use them in the state tournament. So you're probably right. They use cropper and then have to use their number two against Milton, but that would be gr- a great matchup if they were able to get by and then have cropper available for Milton. But I don't think they'll do it that way. When you look at Milton, defending state champions, 17-3, and three, they, they always play a tough schedule, a couple of D1 opponents, and their non-league section of their schedule. What did you, were, were you, do, were they about what you expected this year? What did you think of their season? Yeah, especially, I mean, Tommy Mitchell got hurt and so wasn't able to pitch the, the second month of the season, so they were a little depleted on the mound. And I think any time a team is so good like Milton was last year, I think they lost to, to Natick and Austin Prep one nothing when Evan Blanco threw a complete game one-hitter, so I don't really know how you fault anyone for that. You expect them just to never lose. I mean, it's kind of like Franklin in that respect. And so when they do lose, you're kind of taken aback. But this Milton team is still excellent. They're so veteran-heavy. They're so good on the mound with Scott Longo and Owen McEwen if, if Mitchell does come back and, and proves to be a force in the tournament, which it sounds like he could be. They're still outstanding in every respect. A veteran coaching staff that has won before. They're going to be home for the first three games of the tournament. They run the bases incredibly well. They're versatile. They're athletic. They've got Owen McHugh, like I said, who's a player of the year candidate for us. I mean, they're, they're, they're excellent. They lost three games over the course of a 20-game of a season, but they're 17-3. and three. And it, it sounds like talking to their coaching staff, Mitchell's absence, as long as he can come, come, can come back, may have been beneficial in some respects since they still got the one seed because they were able to throw other guys that maybe they can see if they can contribute come the state tournament as well. So to me, this is still an excellent team and in in every respect, every facet of the game. Now it's just about whether they can survive a, a one-game elimination tournament format, which as we both know is, is a lot easier said than done. Yeah, they did it last year. Lemonster, when we had Coach Barnaby on, he, he, they're number one in our top 10. He said he doesn't really care where they're ranked in the <laughs> tournament as long as it's one or two. He just, as long as he's not traveling to Milton, and by the time the one and the two play each other, it would be neutral site. It would be at Holy Cross or Polar Park, right? Is yes, that where Polar that, Park. Yeah, Polar Park, okay. So that'll be a big, hopefully, well, we're not really rooting for Milton or Lemonster, but that would be a great game. Awesome they, game, yes. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go ahead to D3, and we've... We've looked at, we've talked about a couple of these teams just from guys who stood out and made it to our 10 candidates for player of the year. 
Connick is a team that t- has made deep runs in this tournament. I think they were out early last year. They're the one seed. And Medfield also, I think, made an early exit last year. So I think both those teams will be looking for redemption. Do I have that right? Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned, you talked about redemption earlier in Division One. Taconic lost in the first round. They were the three seed. I think I picked them to win the state. I honestly don't remember if I picked them or Medfield to win the state championship, but but Taconic lost in the first round to Pittsfield, which was like right down the road. Right. So it's a kind of a, a rivalry. It was a big deal. The 30 seed knocking off the three seed. So you're talking about a team that certainly is looking for redemption. They have been there before. Like you said, they've got a great player in Matt Lee. And then Medfield, number two. I think some people thought after Jack Goodman graduated, this team was take a, a step back, but Jack Collins has come back and, and won the the Tri-Valley League MVP is a two-way player for them, hitting over 400. And so I don't know if this is a two-person race. Oakmont in the four spot is very good. They've got Caleb Allen leading the way. He's one of the best two-way players in the state. Foxborough was a team that was in the state semifinals last year, has that team back in a lot of respects, played a really strong schedule. They play in the Hockamock. They went outside of the league, played Milton to an extra innings game. Hanover, the 10 seed, won their side of the Patriot League handily. And then there's other landmines along the way that are really tough. Sandwich in the 15 seed, to me, is a dark horse. I think they're a team that, if they were to draw Medfield in the second round, could pose some issues. It's certain, that would certainly be a game that would catch my attention in a, in a lot of respects. Seamus Vining is a, is a tremendous player, hit over 430 and won the Cape and Islands League MVP. So, I don't know. I'll be interested. I think... I think Taconic and Medfield are the top two teams. I think Taconic is the best team. I think they've been the best team all season long. As you mentioned, they're a team that's been there before, played for Division I state championships not too long ago. So I'd expect them to be there. But again, I think the Taconic-Pittsfield game from a year ago is a pretty perfect example of kind of what happens in a seven-inning, one-game elimination tournament is that if you get the best teams on their heels, especially early on, the pressure starts, the tournament can, can become pretty wide open. Of all these teams, we can go D1 through D3. Who do you think has the best home field advantage in this? Like, what teams are going to draw fans? What teams are going to be difficult to beat at home? So there are two teams that, that come to mind for me. Number one is Franklin. If you've never been to a Franklin High School baseball game in the postseason, I highly recommend it to anyone listening, not just not just to Dan and to Dave. <laughs> they play at night in a lot of cases, especially as the tournament goes on, and they get great fans. They get Little League. There are Little League teams to come out, town ball teams to come out, friends, family, alums. I remember going to the Severian game a couple years ago, the South Sectional Finals before the statewide tournament, and my guess is there were 1,500 to 2,000 people there. I mean, it was just awesome. They're all into it, and they're great supporters. They're great athletic community. Um, and again, under the lights, good weather comes around. They take great care of the field. To me, it's just an awesome atmosphere in every respect. And so to me, for every time Franklin's at home, which they will be as long as they, of course, win, it's a great advantage. And then Lemonster, same thing. They play at Doyle Field. It's an interesting setup. It's historic Doyle field is what it's called, but they also too like to play under the lights, a very short left field, well over, well under 300 feet with a high fence, but the wind comes howling into left. So a lot of times players think that they can just destroy the ball to left field and the ball doesn't go anywhere, but it's a great setup. They got great. They've got a broadcasting crew. They've got PA music in between at bats in between innings. They also have a great fans, great supportive athletic community and great supportive school of athletics. And so those two teams, I think one of the reasons that they're as good as they are and both teams in the mix consistently is the fact that their towns support their teams to such a high degree. It becomes really hard for other teams to go in there and win. So those two teams, in my opinion, um, they've got the best home field advantage in the tournament. Yeah, when you look at D1, and you mentioned this when we were kind of going through D1, prospects of teams that might advance to the semifinals, dangerous teams. It seems like in Division One, at least, like everybody's got a guy, at least one guy who's throwing mid to high 80s, D1 commit that could beat anybody. Like it's if he's on that day, he's going to win. Yeah, he's going to win. 
what about I? Th- I feel like last year, at least in the championship with Taunton and Franklin, it was the depth of guys that could hit that really got them through the tournament because you're facing those good pitchers. Who are some of the, the deepest offensive teams there in Division One that might be able to beat one of those aces who's going off to a D1 school? Central Catholic, I think, is a team that coming into the year knew that they were going to pitch really well on the mound, but their lineups really stepped up as the year has gone on. I think John Sexton, the head coach there, has been really happy with the way his team has played offensively over the last month or so. They're very versatile. They play a lot of small ball, but up and down the lineup, Nate Carney, who's going to Stonehill, Brady Rickenbach and Jake Bartlett, both behind the plate, have been key contributors. Jack Savio, a designated hitter, Kyle Bishop, Will Norris, they are they can beat you in so many ways. Ty Normandy, they are a really deep and really extensive lineup to complement that pitching staff, which has allowed them to kind of take that next step. And they were great last year, but they're a serious state championship contender this time around. You know, when I look at Bridgewater Raynham's lineup, they're a team that's tortured opponents in a lot of respects this year in a showcase that they can put up a high amount of runs in a really short time span. Wachusett is a team that's going to certainly have to pitch consistently if they want to make a deep run, but they've scored number they've scored huge runs in bunches. You talk to Rich Barnaby, the head coach at Lemonster, and I was talking to him about three, four weeks ago, and he thought Wachusett had the best lineup in Central Mass, at least up until that point. So I agree with you. I think come the tournament... More often than not, the deepest lineups win. And it goes hand-in-hand with pitching and defense, of course. But there's usually a game along the way that you have to win 8-7 or 9-6. It's just the way the tournament plays out. More often than not, you're not going to throw a shout-out every single game or your defense is not going to be able to be perfect in the field. And if you are, you're going to cruise to the state championship. That's kind of what happened to, to Milton last year in a lot of respects. But it's really hard to get there. And I think a lot of times the teams that end up winning in the tournament are teams that can wear down the opposing pitcher, get into opposing pitchers, opposing team's bullpens and then really exploit them in the fifth and sixth innings. Um, and that's what makes Franklin tough to beat the bottom of their lineup. I think that's what makes Bridgewater Rainham such a big threat. And it's what makes Central Catholic, in my opinion, one of the ta- one of the top favorites as well. This is the second year that the MIA has done it this way with power rankings. And it's kind of like an RPI type deal. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's how you kind of end up seeing teams like Franklin and Totten 1-2 ahead of Westford Academy. Whereas I, a few years ago, it just was based on record, right? right? So Westford Academy would have been the one. Do we hear any coaches complaining about the way that they're doing it now or most in favor of this new format? Yeah, I think the big thing is I think most people love the idea of power seeding teams and especially the strength of schedule component. I think it's become a huge factor in a lot of respects. That's why you see teams like Zavarian that have seven losses or BC High with eight losses still be top eight seeds in the tournament. I think one detraction is the margin of victory component. Some coaches don't understand why it's you're getting value more for winning by five runs than three runs, which is in a lot of respects pretty silly when you kind of put it in those terms. Who cares whether you win eight, five or eight to three? A win's a win. And I think it's caused some issues in terms of coaches being worried about putting certain relievers in a game because it can make a difference when it comes to seeding in terms of whether you get two home games, three home games, one home game, don't even make the tournament. So the overall, the coaches that I've heard from love the power rankings concept. They love the fact that they're no longer seeding based on record, but I think a lot of coaches would like the margin of victory component just tweaked a little bit because in the grand scheme of things in their eyes, whether they win by four runs or two runs should not have an impact on their seeding. Yeah, I could see if like you're you're using the 10 run rule a lot or right. something, but yeah, you're right. If it's Who cares if it's two or four <laughs> runs? Alright, let's make some picks here. Oh, We'll both make some picks. All right. Are you up for that? Or of no? course. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Division one. I am going to go. I know you like Franklin. I'm going Taunton, the defending champs. I like the way they finish the year. I always like their depth in the tournament. And I just feel like they're very well coached. They faced a tough schedule. 
I'm going to stick with the defending champs, Taunton, as the two seed to win the Division One tournament. What about you? I'm changing my pick from the preseason and from the midseason. I'm hedging my bets, I suppose, in some respect. I'm going to take Central Catholic to win the state championship. I think they're playing very well, um, playing a great conference. And their three pitchers, Lucas Rondo, Frankie Melendez, Josh Florence. They've received other contributions, Sean McCurry, Ty Normandy on the mound. Again, especially the way their lineup sit down the stretch. They get three home games. They don't really even have a home field. They play at like Necco and Greater Lawrence, which becomes fun for opposing teams. I think they have a good draw. I think they're the I think they're the team playing the best in Division One down the stretch, and I think they're the deepest team. I think Central Catholic's gonna win the state championship this year. Yeah, it's a good choice. Coach Barnaby did say from Lemonster, he was he faced off with that team and he was just like they used three pitchers against him because I think it went like 10 or 12 innings. 12 innings, yeah. Yeah, and he's like, everybody that was coming in was <laughs> 89, 90 miles an hour and just painting the the strike zone with painting the corners. It was a, they're a really loaded team, so that's not a bad choice. Division two, oh, that is a tough one. Man, I, I'm going to probably, so I don't think a defending champion is going to win division one and division two, so I took Taunton in division one. I'm going to go Lemonster in division two. But I'm not confident in that because I know how battle-tested Milton is. But I'll pick Lemonster. We're going to be on the same page here. We're both going to pick Lemonster. The two teams that played opening day, Central Catholic Lemonster, I have taking home the D1, D2 titles. Experience battle-tested. Lemonster lost to Milton in the round of eight last year in the state quarterfinals. Over there, I think, is the eight seed. They're a veteran all over the diamond. They're a team, when you go watch them, they're never going to wow you. You're not going to be like, holy crap, this team is the 1927 Yankees. But they just play the game so well. They're so fundamentally sound. They run the bases exceptionally well. They're deep on the mound. And I just think that across the board, they've been the most consistent team in the state this year. Again, it's not like they're winning games 12-0, but they win 4-1, they win 6-2, they win 7-4, and who cares what the score is? They seem to do whatever it takes to, to get it done. I really like Lemonster this year. I think Lemonster-Milton would be an awesome state championship game. Yeah, I, I agree with you. All right, so Division Three. I'm looking at Division Three, and what I think is going to determine the championship in Division Division Three is a semifinal matchup between Taconic and Oakmont. Yes, and I am going to take Caleb Allen on the mound for Oakmont. So I'm going I'm going to pick Oakmont. Caleb Allen this year was four and one on the mound with a 0.47 ERA, he allowed just 17 hits while striking out 83 batters. At the plate, he's also hitting 422. In the Division Three tournament, I just like the team that has a player that can take over, a two-way player that can take over, and I think he's the best player in Division Three. Matt Lee's right there as a pitcher, but I like the fact that Caleb Allen can impact the game even when he's not on the mound. If Matt Lee and Caleb Allen were to face each other in the semifinal, that'd be that'd be a pretty good game. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and hopefully would be in reasonable driving distance for me to get out there. Yeah, I like Taconic to win the state championship. I think they're bitter, of course, after the way that the season ended last year. I do think they play Oakmont in the semis, and I think Taconic's gonna play Foxborough for the state championship. I think Foxborough gonna use that experience from last year. Sean O'Leary kind of leading the way for that group offensively. Has also been pitching a little bit more recently down the stretch through the complete through the even though they lost through a valiant effort against Austin Prep in that state semifinal last year so I expect it's a conic Foxborough state final but I'm going to take to conic and I didn't mean to sell Matt Lee short as a two-way player he's hitting 377 on the season with two home runs and 14 RBI so he's right there too <laughs> with Caleb Allen both those guys are great players well, division four division five difficult to really predict we haven't seen as many teams in that in those divisions 
I don't I don't really even have I haven't seen any of these teams to be honest with you. Do you have a D4 or D5 champion pick? I'm going to take Boston English in Division 4. They did win the Boston City League title which I did cover last weekend. Okay. Justin Pagero, who's the shortstop from Dayton who is a player of the year candidate for us is legit. He is the real deal. If you can go see him play, I highly recommend it. A ton of fun to watch. Um, they're 20 and 0 entering the tournament. They they're one of the three undefeated teams left on the baseball side of things in Massachusetts. And so I'm going to take Boston English. I think like I said I think they're they're really, really good. They're battle-tested. They've won every game they've played, obviously, and extensively. They scrimmaged a couple of tough teams in the preseason. Um, their head coach, Christian Ortiz, was at Snowden, did a great job there, has come over here to English and has done a nice job. So I'm going to take Boston English in Division Four to finish the job and finish their undefeated season. Nice one. All right. That sounds good. I think we are now ready for our three-up, three-down segment with our producer, Dave. Three up, three down. Yes, welcome back to Three Up, Three Down, gentlemen, where I give you three random questions about baseball. Have you seen these questions before, gentlemen? No. I'm getting no. hit with them blind. All right. You're both getting hit with them blind. Question number one. We'll start with you, Dan. Okay. Will we ever see a pitcher throw 110 miles an hour? Ooh. I don't think so. I, I would have to look at some graph of the maximum velocity on a fastball, but what is it right now? 105? One, 104 for sure. Uh, yeah, I think it's 104. Yeah. A couple okay. of players are, have thrown multiple pitches of 104. And so, yeah, the reason I asked the question, I guess, is when I was growing up, 100 was the holy grail. Right. And now we are at 104. So I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I just think, think if you look ball? at like that 30 years, it's gone up four miles an hour, I guess. I think 110 is crazy. These guys are so strong now and the training is so specific to what they need to be doing to get velocity out of them. And everybody's shooting for that velocity now. Nobody's like the Greg Maddox crafty mm. picture, pitcher. I'm saying it's going to cap at like 107. <laughs> okay, Matt. I agree. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't know how the training could ever be better than it is now. Like I just, just I feel mm. like we've reached the max. So has anyone seen the the guy Ben Joyce who came out of the bullpen for the Angels yeah, the other yeah, day? Yeah. Like his 103 miles an hour pitch that moves like 24 inches. Like I don't know how anyone's ever going to get a hit off that. But right. I don't know. I just think I again. I think 105 is pretty dang good. I just don't know how it gets how it gets more than this. These players are in the best shape of their lives. Yeah. Is there too much, uh, Matt? I'll ask you first. Is there too much emphasis on MPH? No. It just is what it is? It just is what it is. I, I think uh, it's just about you making sure that you're surrounded by the right people that are not sacrificing one thing for the other. They're not, to me, they're not mutually exclusive. If you throw, if you throw 100 miles an hour, the, you get a better chance of, if you miss your spot, that you're going to get away with it. Mm. Whereas Kyle Hendricks misses his spot, and I love Kyle Hendricks, but if he misses 88 down the middle, it's, it's, it's out of the ballpark. It's gone, mm. yeah. Dan, can you throw 100 miles an hour? Oh, no, no. I don't even think I hit 80. I think I tried one of those when you, at the arcade games. Yes. You throw it, and I legitimately had trouble hitting 50. Anyway, <laughs> okay, we'll start with Matt on this one. What's your favorite example of seeing an oddity on a baseball field that prompted you to say, I've never seen that one before? Oh, I actually have a good one. Good. Runner on third, two outs, first year college reliever in the game, Okay. Gets a strikeout, wants to save the ball, forgets how many outs there were, throws the ball into the dugout after the strikeout, oh. and the runner on third scores. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's embarrassing. That reminds me of the t a couple players have done that thing. Like I remember Larry Walker did it where he catches a ball, runs over, tosses it to a cute kid in the stands, and then re later realizes that was only the second out. Dan? 
I just saw it a few weeks ago. Kenley Jansen, that whole sequence. Did you see that for the Red Sox? It was I'm like sure the n- ninth inning. Yep. And the opposing player admitted afterwards that he was messing with him because he knew that he was slow and he had to work, spend the, the entire offseason yep. yep. on his timing to make sure that he didn't have a pitch clock violation. But it was like the player would step one foot out and then he would not. You have to make eye contact with the pitcher now before the pitch clock, before the pitcher can go into his motion. So he had a one foot out and he wasn't looking at him. And then Jansen would start his motion and they kept calling him for box or issuing. I right. think they were calling balls. And I was like, I still don't really know what that what happened with that. It looked like the batter should have been penalized because he wasn't ready. But they were calling balls on on Jansen. Yeah. So I think it was a, fair to say that's one instance where the new rules did not make baseball more exciting. Like, <laughs> no, yeah. it, just, it just made it confusing and weird. Yeah. It was weird. Okay. What's your baseball oddity? Me? Yeah. Jeez. Well, the first thing that came to mind was Randy Johnson killing oh, yes. poor bird. Oh, yeah. That's an all-timer. But I'll answer my own question by changing the question slightly. My favorite, like, little small moment, I guess you could call it an oddity, was in the Red Sox uh, magical season of, I want to, 2013? Was, was that the year we had? Who was the tempestuous? Johnny Gomes. That was mm. the Johnny Gomes uh, yes. go-to-war with me year, right? I was sitting on the third. I had the benefit of good seats uh, right near the dugout third base side Johnny Gomes is on third and I want to say Max Scherzer was pitching that would have been the Tigers I yes. believe anyway okay so point of the story is Gomes is kind of dancing on third a little bit trying to distract him there's two outs it's a key moment and the Red Sox pinch hit that backup catcher that used to play for Atlanta, who's now a baseball commentator. You know who I mean. Is Matt it Saltamakia? No, the other guy. Damn it. He caught the final out in the World Series. He's, oh, Jim, this is, I'll have to put this in later. It's not anyway. David Ross. Yes, David Ross. Oh, it is. David Ross. Yeah. Commentator. He's the manager of the Cubs. Oh, well, he was a commentator before he did that. <laughs> <laughs> it's good, good keeping up with baseball, Dave. Anyway, <laughs> the point of the story is Ross w- w- seemed to be overmatched and. Gomes waited until the count was two and two, and on the on the, that pitch, he broke for the plate. And I could see Scherzer vert, avert his eye in the middle of his windup. His eyes turned towards Gomes breaking for the plate. The distracting had helped him, and Ross singled up the middle. And I just wonder if he hadn't distracted him. Would that so it, you talk wow. about the little things in baseball was cool, and Johnny Gomes wasn't as much of a buffoon as he let on. All right. <laughs> Thank you for allowing me that that rambling story, Matt. Matt, we'll start with you on that. We're gonna do each you each get a trivia question to wind up three three up, three down. Matt, there are two players in Major League Baseball who played twenty three seasons with their the, playing their entire career with one franchise. Can you name one or both of those players? Is Cal Ripken one? No, that's a fantastic guess, but I, I don't think he made it to twenty three. But darn, give me one more. I'll take one more guess. Okay, go ahead. Yogi Berra? No. Dan, Dan, would you like to chime in on this one? Wow. Oh, God. Um, hmm, 23 years with the same team. Matt, I'll allow you one more guess because Cal Ripken, you had the franchise correct. Oh, Brooks Robinson? There you go. There's one. Oh, wow. And I didn't Dan. realize he played that long. 23 years. Can you give me the franchise? Very close to home. Philadelphia? No, it's closer to <laughs> where we are right now. Oh, oh, Boston. All right. Boston Red Sox, 23 Look years. Look into my eyes, Dan. Who are you looking at? 
Oh. Oh, Carly Stremsky. Yeah, that's right. Oh, okay. Yeah, Dustin like Pedroia. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll do I w- cannot believe Cal Ripken did not play 23 years with the Orioles. No, we'll look it up, but I bet he was Well, it's the same team, 20. right? Yeah, one team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. All right, Dan, Wikipedia lists six, six nicknames for the curveball. How many can you name? And then Matt can chime in the ones that you don't get. Oh, man. Would you call it a breaking ball? No, I mean the, that that's a good guess, but that doesn't that doesn't appear um, on this list. I guess. What else would you Matt, call? Matt, go it? ahead and jump in. Okay, Curveball. Uncle Charlie. That's one. Very good. Oh, jeez. Hey. No, you guys are terrible. S- Think of what the catcher does, how he signals it. A number two. Yes, that's, that's correct, a yeah. to know who calls it that. <laughs> <laughs> also, would have accepted Deuce. Oh yes, okay, that's fair. All right, uh, let me think. Uncle, uh, Ch- Uncle Charlie's my favorite. Uncle that's Charlie, a, yes. A great one. Yeah. Okay, no one calls it a number two, but that's fine. Deuce, <laughs> spit. Not, not spitball, not slurve. Not no. I'm better with fastballs, like straight cheese, yes. stinky cheese. No, this is pretty good though. I, that's I, that's next week. So <laughs> three up, three down. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, I don't think I'm going to be able to get these. Okay. No, I don't think so. One begins with a Y. That's a weird one. No. Okay. You got the yacker. Okay. The oh, hook. Okay. And the, the, hook, be- uh, and the, the bender, or if, uh, you're, if you're from Boston, throw him the bender. Yeah, the yeah. hook makes sense. Yeah. Any others? That was it. But anyway, I think. Oh. Uh, but I think. I think only in fairness. I, I think the trivia question has to be returned to you. <laughs> <laughs> you have one. I do. Oh, okay. Go. Can you name the four players in baseball history with ten gold gloves and a three hundred career batting average? How about we start with Wade Boggs? No. All right. Off to a flying start. How about? Well, it's got to be Ken Griffey. Close, but no. negative. A great. I'm just thinking of a great center fielder. I'm thinking of great. I mean, how about Johnny Bench? Nope. Okay. How about the- you're right on track with a great center fielder for one of them. Well, it's not Bonds. It is not. I think he won seven Gold Gloves. Yeah, and he didn't really play center, so I'm I'm just stalling for time here. Andrew Jones? No, I don't. I don't know if Jones hit 300. Mickey nah. Mickey Mantle? Nope. Duke Snyder? Nope. How's that song go? Oh, Willie Mays. Willie Mays. <laughs> <laughs> Willie Mays is one. I'll give you the positions for the other ones. Right field, infield, and catcher. Infield's not a position. Okay, so middle infield. <laughs> he played second and shortstop, so. Not Robin Yount? No. Move to the outfield. Vladimir Guerrero? Negative. Da- Dave Concepcion? Nope. Oh, uh, Ripken. How about Ripken? Nope. Andre Dawson? No. Oof. We're running out of guesses here. <laughs> One play, we're going to make the guesses really tight here. One play for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Roberto Roberto, Roberto Clemente. Yes, that is two. Okay. And who's give us the other team. One played for a lot of teams. The Indians, the Diamondbacks maybe. I don't know if he played for the mm. Blue Jays in the 90s. Alomar? Yep, that's okay, three. And then the, the last one is a catcher. So it's not benched. I don't think Fisk hit three. Fisk? No. Pudge Rodriguez? You got it. Nice. Oh, nice. I don't know. Did Pudge make the Hall of Fame or is he steroid black he's, exiled? I think he's still on that list. Okay. Right? Yes, but yes. <laughs> Mays, Alomar, Rodriguez, and Clemente. Good one. Producer is stumped. Well done. Well done, Matt. <laughs> Nevertheless, despite embarrassing me, Matt, you still have, and Dan, have both successfully negotiated another round of three up, three down. You have you both are receiving a watermelon-flavored Big League Chew. Congratulations. <laughs> it's the worst flavor. That's all we have. There go my Oof. teeth. Good deal. All right. Thanks to co-host Matt Feld for joining us on the Base Path Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe to the Base Path Podcast on your preferred platform. Thanks to our producer, David Yaz, the Base Path Podcast is a Siemens Media production.